0: Father, in the quietness, we come before you because we know that you are God. We know that we have no help, no hope, no um, opportunities. We have no power. We have no strength if we don't have you. And we want to thank you, Lord, that we could not save ourselves. We could not keep your law. We could not obey you. We could not be what you demanded. And so you sent your son to fulfill everything. That you demanded and he lived a perfect life and died a substitutionary death on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins to bear the wrath of God that we fully deserved and to do it willingly and lovingly and freely and most importantly completely I thank you Lord that he paid for all of our sin I thank you that he has never fallen short of anything that you demanded and so we come to you today In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. On his authority. Based on who he is. And what he has done. And the fact that we are in Christ. And Christ is in us. As our hope of glory. And we want to pray Lord. Because we live in a broken messed up world. And we don't always know what to do about it. We feel really helpless. Many many times. And so we're coming and appealing to you Father. Would you please. Wake people up. Would you bring people to salvation? We pray, Father, that we would have a spiritual awakening and revival in our churches. And we pray that from the north to the south and east to the west, the name of the Lord would be praised. Not just in our own country, but all around the world. You deserve the glory from every person that walks on the face of the earth. And we want to pray, Lord, for those who have given their lives to world missions, who are living in places we wouldn't want to live who are among people that they love and they're sharing the gospel with. We ask you to empower them. We ask you to strengthen them and provide for them. We want to pray for chaplains who are in prisons, preaching the gospel to inmates, those who are preaching the gospel to our military. We pray for those who... uh, work in an industrial setting, whatever it may be, or a hospital setting, or hospice itself, and we pray, Lord, that the gospel might go forth through them. We want to pray, Father, today for our own ministries of our church, asking you to bless our Sunday school, asking you to bless our services, asking you to bless our fellowship, asking you to bless our kids programs, asking you to bless our uh, children's and adults programs asking you to bless every age group asking you to bless our hispanic ministry and asking you to bless us even as we do our mission 405 type work asking you to provide a place for us to do that full scale again but in the meantime May we be willing and able and have opportunities to feed the hungry and to clothe those who are poor and to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for his glory. We want to pray for our own family members and our own friends that are lost. And we want to pray that you would use us to share the gospel with them. We want to pray for our Christian friends who have grown cold and indifferent. And we want to pray, Father, that you would use us to encourage them and to bring them back into fellowship with the church and with other people that are believers and we want to pray Father that all of us would be not lukewarm but we would be on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ We want to pray that you would help us now as we look into the Word of God because only you can teach us the Word. And we want to pray that we would learn and that we would grow. We want to pray that we would be fed. We want to pray that we would be strengthened. And uh, we pray that we would know you better and love you more. And thank you, Lord, for your love for us. And we pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Thank you for hearing us. Amen. If you'll turn to the book of John. And uh, we'll pick up in the uh, first chapter once again. And uh, after we looked last week at Christ and the gospel and how he came. uh, And by the way, if you're wondering what about the PowerPoint, our computer crashed this morning. And so uh, we're using a laptop now and that's just what it does with this. So uh, if you need your binoculars, go ahead and get them out and uh, take a look at them. But... uh, Uh, You can always just listen and get it the old-fashioned way, even if you can't read it. So, um, As we look at this, we uh, go from how Christ became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. And then uh, the Apostle John takes us back into a a little bit more about John the Baptist, or literally John the Baptizer, and that uh, is found... As we look here in uh, chapter 1, verse 15. And he is undoubtedly the last prophet of the Old Testament era. And um, he is also the first evangelist, the first to witness for Christ. And we can learn some things about the way he witnessed that we can witness as well and some principles that are here. We won't do it the same way or in the same place or with the same technique, but the same principles will be there. So start reading with me at uh, verse 15 in John chapter 1. John, meaning the baptizer, bore witness of him, of Christ, and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now, that would be just a tad confusing until you take time to uh, understand that. What kind of a message is that? Is that the message? Am I supposed to go out here on the corner of 104th and Penn and shout out that message? I don't know that it would do much good if I tried to do it exactly like John did. If I let my hair grow long and I wore... uh, uh camel's hair robe and uh I had a leather belt and then I started eating locust and wild honey. I don't think anybody would pay any attention to me. In fact I think in our culture that's just kind of a ticket to being somewhat ignored or scorned or something like that. So when we look at John the Baptist and his evangelism, it's not that we are supposed to copycat him. It's not that we are supposed to emulate him. We're all born in a certain time, certain place, certain culture. And as we do that, we're in the world, but we are not of the world. And so John comes on the scene here, and he begins proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does it because it was prophesied that before the uh, uh, Messiah would come, there would be someone in the spirit of Elijah that would be preparing the way of the Lord. And we'll talk more about that. In the uh, weeks to come. But right now I want to talk about the thing that probably all of us fail at more than just about any other thing. And that is to be the kind of witness we ought to be for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's true God is sovereign. We all understand that. Hopefully you do. But God has also ordained in his sovereignty that he calls people into the body of Christ through the witness of faithful believers. Now, it's not that if you don't uh, do it right, then it's not going to be done. And God's not being held hostage by your unfaithfulness. God will do it and God will get it done. The thing is, will you as a born-again believer be in on what God is doing? Or do you just not care about anything like that? And if you don't care about being in on what God is doing, being blessed by him and witnessing for him then uh, I think I agree with uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon who said you're probably not a true believer. You ought to investigate that. And so as we look at what John did and we think about the witness, we're centering it all around that, the witness of John, then number one would be this. The witness is created by God, empowered, equipped, and prepared. Now, John bore witness of him. The word witness there is martyros in the Greek. The Greek, the word martyr that we have, giving your life for Christ, is uh, where that comes from. But originally in the New Testament days when John wrote this, martyros did not mean dying for the Lord. It meant testifying. Testifying. It was a courtroom term. If you saw an accident, you'd be called to uh, take the stand and be sworn in under oath. And then you would tell what you had seen. That was a martyr in New Testament times. Well why did it change. And why did it become. Meaning someone who gave their life. For a cause or something like that. Well that's because the more believers. Witnessed for Christ. The more of them were executed for that. And soon the meaning of the word. Changed to mean someone who gave their life. But not at the very beginning. And John was martyring himself. In this situation. By testifying. By testifying. Of Christ. He cried out and uh, said these wonderful words. Now, I thought about the fact isn't it coincidental and isn't it lucky and isn't it uh, good fortune that John and Jesus coexisted together at the same time on the earth? Because that's what a lot of people believe. Life is just a, a series of random events and sometimes they just happen to work out okay. And isn't it wonderful that it worked out okay? ...for Jesus and John to uh, be in this particular situation... ...so that John could be a witness for them. Well, you know better than that. This was not luck. This was not random chance. This was not just something that was a coincidence. What a a strange coincidence this was... ...that these two people happened to be at the same place at the same time. I want you to think about this person named John the Baptist... ...or John the Baptizer... The birth of John the Baptist was no accident. And uh, that's true for any of us, of course. But think about the circumstances of John the Baptist in birth. His mom and dad were old. They were unable to have children. In fact, Elizabeth, his mother, was nicknamed Elizabeth the Baron. And so uh, then one day when Zacharias, John's father, is going to the temple. He was a temple priest. And he was going in when it was his time to Uh, work there an angel comes to him and says you're going to have a son and John uh, pardon me Zacharias didn't believe it and so uh, the angel said uh, what's going to happen is you're going to be mute until the baby is born And you name him, and you name him, by the way, John. Don't name him after a family member. Don't name him what you want him. Name him John. And he's supposed to be a lifetime Nazarite, not a Nazarene. That's a person from Nazareth. But a Nazarite is a person who took a special vow. And uh, during that time, there were certain foods they didn't eat. They didn't drink alcohol. And they didn't cut their hair. And that was to be his lifestyle. And he was a lifetime Nazarite. And so uh, John uh, uh, is born, and Zacharias, unable to speak, all of the people and all the relatives are thinking about naming him Zacharias Jr. or something like that. And uh, Elizabeth goes, no, his, his name will be John. And everybody is perplexed, going, you don't have any family members named John. Uh, Let's ask Zacharias, and Zacharias took a tablet and wrote his name is John, and immediately he was able to speak, and this boy was very, very, very special. He grows up there in a priest's home, and then he goes out into the desert, and he eats locust and wild honey, he has a coat of camel hair with a leather belt. And um, then he's out there in the wilderness, in the desert, in the Jordan River, baptizing people unto repentance. And he is proclaiming that the Lord is come and the kingdom also has come. This is a unique man, a special man. And again, if you try to emulate that, you'll be locked up somewhere. But uh, that's what John John the Baptist did because his birth was no accident. It has a supernatural aspect to it. Think about uh, these things. What about the time? What if John the Baptist had been born 20 years before Jesus? Well, now we have a problem because none of this would have worked out. What if John the Baptist had been born in China and not in Judea? Well, now we have a problem with this story and everything that takes place. What if John the Baptist had been born in a Roman family or a Greek family and not a Jewish family and not a priest family. What if John the Baptist believed a different message and what if his message was one of, uh, maybe, maybe John the Baptist could have been Uh, long before Muhammad the founder of Islam or Buddhism or something like that then none of this would work out but everything came together at this particular time this particular place for John the Baptist to be doing what he did and for Jesus Christ the Lamb of God to show up at that place at just the right time so the message and the purpose in all of this was given by God the timing the situation everything is put together now you have to stop and think when we look at John and we see some of the drawings and the things that picture John portray him when we think about the way the Bible describes him he doesn't sound like he was really in the mainstream of things was he an eccentric was he an outcast was he crazy? What, what in the world was going on? Now, I remind you to go back to the story about his birth. Who was his father? Zacharias. What did Zacharias do? He was a priest in the temple. In other words, John the Baptist grew up as a religious blue blood Do you understand what that means? He was not poor. He was probably pretty well off. He was raised there in the vicinity of the temple. His father was a highly respected priest in the temple. And then John the Baptist goes out and lives in the desert and then starts proclaiming this message and baptizing people. That's not the life that humanly John would have been destined for. John would probably take up the role of his father, have a cushy life, wear soft robes, have plenty to eat and work in the temple and be a highly respected person and not to end up like he did. I just find that kind of fascinating the way his life took a different turn. But he was coming... According to the Old Testament and explanation in the New, in the spirit of Elijah. And so he's doing what the prophet Elijah did, dressing like the prophet Elijah. And his message is much, much the same as he begins to proclaim that the Lord is coming and it's time to get right with God. Now, if you read other gospel versions about this, he would see people coming and he would say these wonderful, seeker-sensitive, positive, affirming, life-changing things like, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And when you find that the people that came to him... There were Pharisees that came and Sadducees that came. There were common, no name people, workmen, workers that came. There were soldiers that came. Hey, the only soldiers in Judea at that time were Gentile, Roman. Soldiers. There were tax collectors. Well, you know how the Jews felt about tax collectors. And all of these were coming and being baptized to show their repentance from sin and their anticipation of the coming kingdom and the coming Messiah. He was preparing the way of the Lord. What a strange thing for somebody that's raised in a priest's home. Now, notice that it was at exactly the right time and the right place. Now, John the Baptist was about six months older than the Lord Jesus Christ. They would have been about the same age. So, if Jesus started, according to the Scripture, his ministry at about the age of 30, it says, then John the Baptist comes on the scene at the same time at about the age of 30. Now, John and Jesus... We're relatives, don't know exactly how, but in Luke chapter 1 verse 36, when Gabriel's giving the message to Mary that she's going to carry the Messiah, she says, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And so here John is, six months older. They're both about 30. And John is out baptizing in the river. John has disciples. John has large crowds of people coming to see him from all over. And then one day, he makes that amazing statement. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And it was at that point that he not only spoke a tremendous truth and witness for Christ... But that's also the point to where basically his ministry began to decline. Some of his own disciples at that particular point start following Jesus. And uh, he does this because it's really not about him. And so John is there in the desert by the Jordan River. And he is, uh, pardon the pun, but he is making quite a splash. Get it? It'll hit you later on. Get it? And so uh, that's what's happening. And, but at the same token, when John said that, Behold the Lamb of God, nobody knew Jesus, or very few did. He was not recognizable. Nobody said, Oh, here comes Jesus. That would come later on, but not at this point. Jesus is brand new in his ministry. <clears throat> He's not known outside of Galilee at all, I would imagine, or very little. And now it's time for him to begin. And so he's introduced by this very popular, by this very strong and um, charismatic in terms of the appeal that he had. Uh, Not his doctrine, but the appeal that he had. And John is just attractive. He's the talk of the town. And everybody from all walks of life, even the weird ones that I just spoke about, are coming to him. And then he spotlights Jesus. Now all of a sudden, Jesus has instant notoriety and instant uh, popularity and instant um, uh, whatever I'm trying to say. And um, there he is. Now all of a sudden, the spotlight has been put on The Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is his introduction. And John is the forerunner who is making known the way of the Lord. Now, when you uh, think about all of this from this time on... People start recognizing Jesus. Now this is a part of salvation. People have to know who Jesus is in order to be saved. You don't just stumble into that. Somebody has to tell you. I remind you of Romans 10, 14. The Apostle Paul says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching or proclaiming. Well, John was the very first to do that and to spotlight Jesus. And there were some people in that early, those early days of Jesus' ministry that began to follow him. Now, John, even though he was famous, he did something that most people don't try to do. He did not try to hold on to his fame. And there are so many ministries now that they have their rise and their peak and they do great things for the Lord But then when it's time for that to be over, the person in charge of it doesn't want to let go. And so they try all kinds of wild and weird and outlandish things to keep the ministry going. Well, not John. John didn't care about that. He didn't try to hold on to his fame or his reputation. But he put the spotlight on Jesus. In uh, John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 25, it says, Now a discussion arose between some of John's, John the Baptist, John the Baptist's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing. Did you know that? Jesus baptized. He is baptizing and all are going to him. And so John's disciples are like, we're losing our people. They're all going over here to that guy. Isn't that interesting? John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Well, that's humility. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, The friend of the bridegroom who stands and uh, hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. In other words, he's saying, I'm not the bride, but I am in the wedding party. Okay? We'll go on. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must... Anybody know? Decrease. How many people do you know like that? How many people do you really know that want Christ to be proclaimed for him to increase, for his glory to increase, for people to know him, even if it costs them personally? That is John the Baptist, and that is where very few believers are today. We're trying this way to say, is there some way, God, that I can fulfill your will and still increase myself? Or can I use your fame in your gospel so that I might increase? That's the cry of the day. And uh, Lord, I'll witness for you in a way that will never cost me anything. And I'll be your servant as long as I don't have to pay the price. Not John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, I'll pay any price. I'll do anything. And I'll even do it to my demise if it glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder he had such an impact and no wonder the Lord Jesus said there was no one greater born of woman than John the Baptist. Why? John was in line with the will and the plan and the purpose of God. He was humble and he was giving all of the glory to the Lord Jesus Christ no matter what the cost might be. Why aren't we better witnesses? Probably because we've counted the cost. It's too high and we go, not for me. I don't want to do that. I'll be embarrassed. I may lose friends. I may lose business. But John would look at you and say, what is there to lose when you have gained Christ? What is there to lose when you have eternity in your hearts? What is there to lose When you are a child of the king, watched over and cared for by the Lord himself. John wouldn't understand where we are today, would he? Secondly, notice that the witness of God must use words. I think it was uh, St. Francis of Assisi who said, Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. That's the dumbest thing I think I've ever heard. Jesus himself said, go ye into all the world and preach. You don't preach by pantomime. Can you imagine? Okay, get saved. Not going to work, is it? That's stupid. A lot of people are like that. Notice how John witnessed by this next phrase. And cried out saying. You got to speak words. Now, somebody might say, well, don't you think that you can lead people to the Lord by (coughs) just living a good life and letting them see all of that? Well, remember, they are to see our good works in a way that makes them glorify our Father. That means probably that we've told them we're doing this in the name of Jesus and for the glory of our Lord, not just let them guess. Because I'm afraid a lot of times when people say, Well, I'll just be a good influence for the Lord. It makes me think of my father-in-law's illustration. He said, a couple of men go fishing. They get out in a boat. One guy (coughs) takes his line uh, and his pole and he, uh, you know, puts the bait on on the hook and casts it out. And the other guy just throwing worms in the water. Just throwing worms in the water. And uh, the one guy says, what are you doing? Why aren't you fishing? Oh, I am fishing you're not fishing you're, you're just throwing worms in the water he goes well I'm showing goodwill, and I'm going to influence the fish to come and jump into the boat okay that, there again that's just a dumb thing to do and whenever we try to be the silent witnesses before the Lord whenever we try to just live a life so that they will see I mean I heard a song one time that said you'll know where I'm going by the look on my face what that is crazy talk and that's not Bible. They have to hear. Faith comes by hearing. Yeah. Paul said, here, How are they going to call on someone that they haven't heard of? And how are they going to hear of him unless somebody tells them? Is basically what he said. He wasn't talking about preaching from behind a pulpit. He was using the word for proclamation. Just telling anybody can tell anybody anywhere at any time about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm afraid that there are some people out in the world that they've come to the conclusion that you're just a nice person and you're really no different than they are. You're just a little bit nicer and you go to church every once in a while. That is not the gospel and that is not the message. And John wanted to be clear about what was going on and who the star of the show really was. And it wasn't John, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we that ashamed of our Lord and Savior? Are we that embarrassed by our Lord and Savior? We don't want to talk about Him because we talk about things that we care about. We talk about things that are important to us. And so we've got to use words. We can't just live a life and make them guess because they will give the glory to us instead of giving it to the Lord. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now that's evangelism. That's the motive. That's the drive. That's where John was and that's where we ought to be as well. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4, 17 through 20, But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So what did Peter and John say to that? So they called them and charged them not to speak or preach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, Rather than to God, you must judge. But we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. Wouldn't it be something if you just couldn't help it? If you were so full of God... And you were walking with him so much you just couldn't help it? Romans chapter ten, verse seventeen says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And Romans 10, 14 then again says, How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never and look at the word, heard. Heard. Why? Because how are they to hear? without someone preaching so all of this is telling us that if we want to be a witness for God we've got to realize like John we are created for this time we are created for this place and for all of the situations that we face in this world God did not put John the Baptist in the 21st century he put him in the 1st century we're here in the 21st century we are created and called and appointed to do all of this and if we're going to do it folks we've got to be vocal I didn't say be rude I didn't say be a jerk I didn't say be crazy or anything like that but we've got to speak up about the Lord Jesus Christ that's the plan that is the command that we have from the Lord Jesus himself now thirdly notice this the witness always spotlights Jesus now all my life I've heard people say well I witnessed to that guy And then when they talk about their witness, they say, I invited them to church. I hope you invite people to church. I encourage you to invite people to church. We need for you to invite people to church. But that's not witnessing. That's not witnessing. We have uh, things in our society that we look at. We look at the immorality and the perversion. And we go, oh, we've got to speak up against that. So we give to organizations and maybe we even get involved in some things that are going to influence legislation or whatever, change people's minds. That's wonderful if it's for the right cause, but that's not witnessing. It's not about any of that stuff. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about having an easier life or more freedom or any of those things that are wonderful. It's about Jesus. You see, if you don't get to Jesus, you really haven't witnessed. And if you haven't gotten to what Jesus did for us on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection, and if you haven't told them why that you and I are sinners and we need someone to live a life we can't live, to die a death we could never die, taking the wrath of God on Himself so that we could have a right relationship with the Father, you really haven't witnessed when you talk about all of the other things. And we tend to talk all around Jesus and never get to Jesus. I was at a funeral service one time where the pastor was preaching and he would get like within about an inch of the gospel and then back up. And trying to take us up within an inch of the gospel and then back up. That is not what we are called to do. We have a message and our message is good news. And our message is powerful because the Bible, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. But it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes to the Jew first and then to the Greek. It's not in all of the other things that we do, as good and as wonderful and as fun as they may be. And it's not that if we could just gather and show the world that we're fun, we're fun people, we're cool. We are the elite, we are just really something and boy don't you want to be like us. That is not the gospel. In fact, it is antithetical to the gospel. We've got to spotlight the Lord Jesus Christ and what he said. And so as we think about that, think about how we fall short of that. John said, this is he of whom I said. This is he of whom I said. And then he refers back to uh, uh, previous messages that he had brought And so John knew that the purpose of witnessing in his assignment was not just simply to point out, Hey, I was right, wasn't I? That's not the deal. The deal was you've got to behold him. This is the one that matters. He is the one that matters. And with everything that go, that's going on in our world today, I don't care if you're a Republican or you're a Democrat. The key for us as a church is not political parties. It is Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And the only thing that can straighten out a heart, the only thing that can change people's lives, the only thing that can fix what is wrong in our country is to fix what's wrong in our hearts the country and the injustice and the perversion and the immorality and the lies and all of that that we see in the media and in politics and all of that folks, I've got bad news that's just a reflection of you that's just a reflection of us that's the way our society is that's the way things are going right now There's injustice. People will look and they'll want to bring the hammer down. Maybe at work on one person. But if you're a friend of theirs, then they just kind of back off. It's unjust. And we think about all the lies that are told. How many people promised to love, honor, and cherish till death do us part. And it turned out that it was a lie. And they broke their vows. Intentionally. At a later time. in That's just a reflection of who we are. And we're getting what we deserve. And the only answer for what's wrong <clears throat> with America is Jesus. The only thing that will fix your family is Jesus. The only thing that will fix your relationships is the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet that's who we're not talking about. We'll talk about church. We'll talk about morality. We will talk about uh, more money. And we'll talk about greater popularity and uh, credibility and we'll talk about all kinds of things. And I suspect that there's a lot going on even among Christian people and some of the organizations that are working that what they really want is not Christ to be glorified, but to make sure we continue to have an easy and comfortable life. Well, I do too. And I hope we continue in freedom. But that is not my calling. That's not your calling. That's not the calling of the church. The calling of the church is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Can I get an amen on that? And we must not deviate from that at all. And so uh, sometimes we kind of have a lot of self-interest. I think there's some people... That they witness because they want more tithe money in the church. That's not the purpose of witnessing. Well, we witness to people because I want to have more friends my age in the church. That's not the purpose of witnessing. We're falling short of the glory of God when we do that. And the Bible says that the definition of sin is falling short of the glory of God. Let's stop doing that and let's take up the armor of God. And let's go forth and let's do what we were put on this planet to do and to do it more intentionally. So when you witness for Christ, think about this. You say, well, I hate to go out there alone. Well, God's given you backup. You want to know what the backup is? Think about all of the witnesses that the, the Scripture speaks of. First of all, there's the witness of the Father in John chapter eight verse eighteen. There's the witness of Jesus himself in John chapter eight verse fourteen. There's the witness of his works in John ten twenty five, and there is the witness of the Scriptures in John five thirty nine, and there's the witness ...of the final prophet who is John the Baptist... ...in John chapter 1 verse 7 and 8... ...and there's the witness of those who experienced his power... ...one example of that is in John 9, 25... ...and there's the witness of the disciples... ...and they, most of them, uh, most of the books of our New Testament... ...are written by apostles... ...and so uh, you you think about what all we have with us... ...and don't discount the witness of the Holy Spirit... In John chapter 15 verse 26. So here's the thing that I would say to you. How do you lose? How do you ever say, well I don't feel qualified? How do you ever say, well it's too embarrassing or the cost is too high? How do you say that after what Jesus has done for you? And when you look at all the things he has given you. How do you you back away from that? Is it because you don't believe? Is it because you don't really think that all of this is credible? Or do you see that all of this backup that you have makes you one of the most dangerous people to the devil's kingdom on the face of the earth? And you may say, well, I'm just a nobody. It's not about who you are. It's all about who he is and what he will do through you. And all he calls you to do is testify. And you say, well, somebody might ask me a question That I can't answer. Well that's fine. That's not really. The Bible doesn't say. Go ye therefore into all the world. And answer everybody's questions. To their satisfaction does it. You have to have confidence in the gospel. Confidence in what the word of God says. Because it's the power of God. Unto salvation. Not your brilliant intellect. Or all your years of study and scholarship. Just give them the gospel. Give them the word of God. There's more power in that. Than there is in anything else and we get away from all of that and we get away from it so easy and god's given you himself his holy spirit as you talk to people about christ and testify of him in so many different places in so many different ways and number four when we talk about the witness using john the baptist as our example the witness (laughs) reveals what is hidden What is hidden? Now here comes Jesus, and he's walking down the Jordan. And John, everybody, did you hear what John said? Have you heard John's latest sermon? Have you been baptized yet? Boy, this guy is amazing. And the Son of God is walking among them, and nobody knew it. Nobody got it. Nobody said, There's something different about that guy. You know, in all the pictures, he had this big halo thing around him. Well, he didn't have that in real life. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 53, it actually says about our Lord, there was nothing desirable about him. Uh, He wasn't handsome. He wasn't built in a certain way. He didn't have just oodles of charisma. In fact, it says there was nothing desirable about him. He was just an average-looking Joe when he walked around. His hair was the same as everybody else's. His beard was the same as everybody else's. He wore the clothing of a common person from Galilee, and he spoke with a Galilean accent. He just didn't look like anything that was a big deal. He had to be pointed out. Now, can you imagine? That guy... John goes, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He's the one of whom I said, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. Remember that? You get that from the other Gospels. And somebody would look over there and they go, who? Him? Him? And there he is, the creator of the universe, God in human flesh right among them, and they didn't even know it. But you know, today a lot of people talk about Jesus, they even go to church, but they have no idea who he is. They have no idea about his divinity, they have no idea about his power, they have no idea that he was pre-existent, all of that type of thing that that you might know. And that's why we are to tell them, John was revealing a mystery, God in human flesh, and most of the Jews, it went right over their head. They didn't get it. That wasn't the kind of Messiah they were looking for. That wasn't really what they were thinking about. It had to be pointed out to them. John was revealing a mystery. And do you know whenever you witness for Christ and you talk about being born again and you share with them how Jesus died on the cross for sinners... How he bore the wrath of God. How he was laid into a tomb. And how three days later he arose from the dead. As conqueror over death, hell and the grave. And how he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And he is going to return. And we can be in a right relationship with him by His grace, through faith, if we will surrender to His Lordship, you're revealing to them something that they probably don't know and surely don't understand. You are a mystery revealer. You're taking the mystery out of all of it. It's not just like what most lost people think. I'll live the best life if I can, and then I'll hope that when it's all weighed out on the scales in heaven, the good will outweigh the bad and they'll let me in. That means that even eternal life to them is a mystery. They don't get it. None of this makes sense to them because they are spiritually discerned, right? And so guess what? Whenever you share it, just like John, you are sharing with them the truth and the solution to the mystery of how do humans get right with God. Hey, why would we withhold that? Why would we think they're not worthy of that? Why would we think that God is not worthy of that? Why would we think that there is a price ever too high for us to share the mystery, the hidden mysteries of the things of God? He who comes after me is preferred before me for he was before me. Now anybody in there goes, John, you're out of your head. You need to get out of the sun. You're having a heat stroke. Why? Because everybody knew you're older than Jesus is. How do you say he was before you? Think of it like this. John could have meant in age. Jewish people put a lot of stock on whoever was older. Even if it was only six months, you outranked the younger ones. You would get a bigger inheritance and a lot of different things like that. It was a big deal to them. Maybe maybe when John said he was... I was uh, before him and all of that. Maybe he thinks, you know, in terms of his age. Maybe he's thinking in terms of ministry. I was here first. Back when you all never heard of Jesus, didn't even know he was. I had large crowds coming around me and I was baptizing them. I was here first. Hmm. But there's something else that he says in this verse. It says... He who comes after me, well, of course we can see those things, is preferred before me, but this is strange. For he was before me. Now, wait a minute, John. Wait a minute, John. Jesus' mother, Mary, didn't get pregnant until six months after your mother, Elizabeth, got pregnant. So how can you say he was before me? Of course not. That's ludicrous. Until you think about John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Could it be that John the Baptist is telling them this is somebody who has always existed, this is the one that is God in human flesh, this is the one who is the creator of all things, this is the one who outranks everybody who has ever lived on earth. He is the king and he existed before me even though he was born after me. Boom! what a what a message is that and what an understanding is that and some people believe john john lost a couple of disciples right away on that because they believed the witness of John and there are people that are going to believe you and they're going to be saved through your witness I want you to witness I want you to be a part of God drawing in his bride drawing in his elect I want you to know the blessing of all of that and I want all of us to be salt and light as we do this but we can't miss these points it can't become about the church it can't become about us it can't come about because of a side issue it It can't be just because we smiled a certain way. It can't be just because we gave a piece of bubble gum to somebody. It can't be because we gave gave a can of green beans to a homeless person. It's got to be because we intentionally testified of Him and drew the spotlight to Him, the inexplicable all-powerful Son of God who created us all and who is the only way to salvation. And I'm afraid that there are a lot of people today. I hope it's not here. And I hope it's not you. Who think that as long as you're a good enough person. And you believe in something. I've heard people say. Well we just all have a different name for God or anything. No. I am the way. The truth. And the life Jesus said. And no one. Get that. No one comes to the Father. How? Except through me. And John was faithful to that. Will you be? John was faithful to that. Will we be as a church body? And that's where we end this morning, thinking about the whole idea that we are to be witnesses for Christ. That is the command. And John is that most excellent example of how we are to witness for Christ. And you know a lot of times why I don't witness the way that I should? Because I don't think of it. Oh, I should have left a track. Oh, I should have said something. Oh, well, why didn't I? Because I wasn't thinking about it. This message is designed to simply say this. Hey, Christian, think about it. Everywhere you go, every contact you make, every situation you were in, there's probably some kind of an opportunity that you miss because you just weren't thinking about it. When I was a kid... People would, on a certain commercial, they would get this, you know, maybe a Coke or something like that, and they would drink, and then they would see something, and they would go, ah, I could have had a V8. Remember those? Oh, I could have had a V8. And that was the thing. They wanted people to think about drinking vegetable juice instead of all of the other stuff. Well, I'm here to say this. You could have told somebody about Jesus. You could have left a track. You could have done something that would have been beneficial to the kingdom of God for the glory of God in the power of the Holy Spirit in line with the commission God gave you before Jesus left the earth. And that's where we find our joy. And that's why we find our pleasure in telling other people about a Savior who came and died for them and a Savior who paid the penalty for sins, a Savior who rose from the dead, a Savior who is truly King of kings and Lord of lords. We've got to open our mouths and we've got to think and we've got to be the witnesses for Christ that we were commanded to be, or we're in sin and we're disobedient to God. Let it stop today. Are you going to be perfect? Are you always going to remember? Are you going to always do it right? No, that's why you have grace. And that's why God is sovereign over all of that because you can't mess it up. You're not going to keep somebody out of heaven and you're not going to force somebody into hell. That's in God's hands. All He asks you to do is be obedient and to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And He's given you all the equipping necessary to do that. You can always learn more. But even as a new believer. You can tell somebody. About the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. As, a, as individuals. And as a church body. May it be that we are found. Faithful. Whenever the time comes. For us to go. To be with the Lord. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father. Our prayer is. You've been faithful to us. How could we not be faithful to you? You've done everything you promised in our lives. And yet we so often just act as though we are our own God. We are our own entity in and of ourselves. And we don't need anybody else. We don't depend upon anybody else, much less you. We just live our lives in the way we want to for our glory, for our will, for our comfort. And we're asking you today, forgive us. Individually and as a church body. And may we have a heart to witness a heart to do good things where we can spotlight Jesus in the lives of other people. But we do it, and we do it boldly, and we do it confidently, and we do it because we want you to receive the glory, whatever the cost may be for us. Now, Lord, we're weak, we're frail, we mess up so often, so we're crying out to you, dear Father, help us, help your children, help us to be obedient. And we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.